0: In 1980, Pentecostal Christians represented, about 6% of the world's Christians. Now it's 25%, with, as I mentioned, about 600 million adherents, including, of course, our own Prime Minister Scott Morrison. It's expected that by 2050 there will be a billion Pentecostal Christians. That's one in ten of the world's population. Not that they necessarily call themselves Pentecostal. The megachurches all have their own brand, whether it's a Hillsong, Bethel Reading or the Enlightened Christian Gathering in Johannesburg. Australian-born journalist Earl Hardy has spent the last few years travelling the world to try and understand the appeal of the Pentecostal movement that's attracting so many new members, including not only pollies, but also movie stars, the wealthy and the marginalised. And I'm talking about Nigeria, to Guatemala, to the Philippines, America and everywhere in between. Now Ella's documented her journey in a book called Beyond Belief, how Pentecostal Christian, Christianity is taking over the world and it's published here by New South Books. Welcome to Late Night Live, and I trust you've survived your experience, embedded in the world of Pentecostalism.
1: I did, yeah. And uh, they, I think they tried to convert me many times. Uh, they, they didn't quite get a hold of me, but um, it's yeah, it, it's it's been fun and, and really interesting.
0: How do Pentecostals differentiate from other Christians, oh?
1: Sure. So it's a branch of evangelical Christianity. I, I call it Born Again Plus. So, so like any evangelical, they have to be born again, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That uh, they'll do a full immersion uh, baptism. And then they are born again in the Holy Spirit. So they accept the Holy Spirit into their, their person and they're given that the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that's talked about in the Bible. So things like miracles, prophecy, healing, and most notably speaking in tongues, which is what Pentecostals are, are really well known for.
0: I understand that uh, speaking in tongues comes from the Bible when uh, some days after Jesus' death, he gave his followers the gift of speaking in tongues so that they could go out and convert the heathen.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. So, and, and that's been from its earliest days in in the early uh, the turn of the 20th century, uh, when when people started getting really interested in this idea again, which had really lay dormant for you know the best part of two millennia. And uh, it was this idea that yeah, they were going out to conquer foreign lands. It's, it's called the Great Commission in in the Bible. And something to this day Pentecostals are just really good at. They're converting 35,000 people a day. Um, I, so I wish
0: I, wish I had the gift of speaking in tongues. It would make it very easy to talk to, uh, to foreign guests. But Pentecostals know themselves by various brand names, don't they? There are Hillsongers and in Catholic countries. They're known as the Catholic Charismatic Renewal Movement.
1: Yeah, so in the '80s, Pope John Paul II saw, saw what was happening—the Pentecostals just started sweeping through Latin America—and he called them ravenous wolves, you know, stealing, stealing the Catholic flock. Um, and so, uh, Pentecostal is the, the broad umbrella term that we use, but but a, you know, several hundred million of these people would be called Charismatic Catholics. So, it's really an accommodation from the Catholic Church because people were were going to Pentecostalism um, for health and wealth and and all sorts of local factors and. This way, you know, you can, you get all that stuff uh, with, with charismatic Catholicism, but you can keep Mary and the saints and things like that. But it, it's really Pentecostalism, um, you know, with a bit of a Catholic badge on it.
0: And of course, there are colloquial terms like holy roller and Jesus jumper.
1: Yeah, and Jesus Freak movement uh, came out of uh, the what we call the second wave of Pentecostalism in 1960s California, where, where one of the founders of the Righteous Brothers really um, got Pentecostalism going um, back to the masses. You know, he'd been up to the Summer of Love and and saw how, you know, it was fairly corrupt and, and they, they made Pentecostalism, um, you know, look and feel like the culture of the time and, and that's what Pentecostalism is really great at all around the world.
0: Let's go back to the dawn of Pentecostal Christianity. It started by Charles Parham.
1: Charles Fox Parham, yeah. He's not actually really considered the founder, which is really interesting. He was the the mentor to the founder, the man who's considered the founder, William J. Seymour, who was a son of of freed slaves from Louisiana. And uh, in 1906, he took on the teachings of, of Charles Fox Parham, who was a renegade Methodist preacher, and he... Yeah, brought the Holy Spirit to his congregation, and it hit the papers the same day as the news of the San Francisco earthquake in 1906. And that was a really huge thing at the time because, you know, true believers really thought it was the end of days. And these really sensational accounts of, you know, people rolling around under the floor and speaking in tongues and having all these, these things fall upon them um, hit the press at the same time. And that just really excited a lot of people. And they started coming from all over America and all over the world to see this real outpouring of the Holy Spirit.
0: Enter stage right Amy Simple McPherson who established the first megachurch.
1: Yeah, she's a fascinating figure. She's really a proto-televangelist and she, she really kind of polished up what was going on and took it to the masses. She was had this incredible sense for a crowd. You know, they said she could just sense a waning audience and, and get them back in, under her spell. And she started putting the, you know, the, the holy rollers and, and the, the quivering uh, people who are under the spirit sort of inside tents and, and, and polishing it up a bit so that all sorts of people would, would come to her congregation. And, and, yeah, she's a really fascinating and flawed figure. She, um, you know, was selling burial plots next to hers. Uh, she uh, probably had an affair. She... she uh, said that she was kidnapped in Mexico for a time, uh, but there are also reports of her uh, seen driving up the coast of California with her lover. And, uh, yeah, she wound up dying of an overdose of barbiturates in uh, in the 40s, but that was not after, you know, going over to Europe and, and raising alarms very early on about um, fascism and communism, seeing speeches by Mussolini, meeting Gandhi. She's she's an incredibly fascinating figure.
0: And, of course, she was a televangelist before there was telly, pretty good on the wireless.
1: Yeah, I think uh, there, there's a fair claim that she was the first woman in the world to have her own radio show or radio station. And uh, yeah, she she really helped bring out Pentecostalism across America. Um, and, and that's something that Pentecostals are just great at to this day. They they sense where new media is going and and they really jump on board. And, and Pentecostals are amazing at social media. They You know, you can get church on YouTube and wake up every morning and see a preacher posting something inspirational on Instagram and that's certainly very much a part of its rise and continued growth.
0: I remember when some of the conventional uh, Protestant churches in Australia were merging into the the united. The Presbyterians were reluctant because they were so damned wealthy and, of course, everyone knows the infinite wealth of the Vatican. But they all are sort of paling into inconsequence So it's the wealth of the Pentecostals.
1: Yeah, look, Pentecostals essentially started prosperity gospel and it's certainly very popular around the world. I mean, there is also really a side of Pentecostalism that's a part of its growth is that it's, so local and austere and authentic. Uh, so, so you know, they often are very small um, local churches. You know, don't have much money. But then, obviously, yeah, there's also that a lot of famous uh, preachers around the world who have private jets and um, and are probably nine figures wealthy. Uh, but but there is some some real evidence that prosperity gospel actually works for people. People that join Pentecostal churches tend to turn their lives around. They have that born again moment. Um, they they they're sort of buying into a network and into a community and. I mean, where else in the world are you getting that now, you know? um, And they're getting all sorts of services as well, you know, especially in places like South Africa. Tithing is essentially a tax and they're building parallel states because you're not getting anything from the state. At least, you know, you get the stuff that you believe in and, you know, maybe a little bit of medical care, a bit of childcare. And, um, yeah, that's really uh, operating in failed states at the moment.
0: We've talked about Amy Semple in dispatches. But women continue to play a pretty big role in the Pentecostal brand.
1: Yeah, for, from its earliest days, Pentecostalism uh, has, has you know had minorities and different races sitting side by side, women preaching. It's always been um, the the faith of the the working poor, uh, and I'd say probably about two thirds of. of Pentecostals worldwide would be young women, um, so they're certainly not Scott Morrison, you know, the median Pentecostal is, um, is yeah, a, a young woman um, who just wants to, you know, improve her lot in life in sub-Saharan Africa or Latin America or, or in Australia, you know, you go to a, a Hillsong church and almost everyone's under 25, they're they they're migrants and minorities and um, they just want to feel good about their faith and, and get on with their lives.
0: Your your book reminds me of the old adage, think global, act local, because The Pentecostal churches sort of moderate, modify the message to meet the needs of the local congregation.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So so in Brazil, uh, where Pentecostalism is at this moment take, overtaking Catholicism. It's really um, it, it's really local and authentic, and that's what's really driving people to, to get on board. So your traditional Catholic priest is, is educated in Spain or Portugal. They're white and you know they're just dropped into your favela, whereas your Pentecostal preacher grew up in the streets with you. He's mixed race like you. He speaks like you. He understands your needs. The reason Pentecostalism really got going in Brazil was because the the guy who's now a billionaire who started at a Gia Macedo um, started opening church at 5 a.m. and midnight because he knew that people couldn't go to church in the middle of the day or traditional times because they're all working several jobs and and they're so busy. And so that's what really spoke to people and and Pentecostalism just speaks to people's everyday needs.
0: Now, the Pentecostal churches along with, I guess, the rest of the, the, the Christian faith, has had a long history of leaders struggling with sexual misconduct, what well, you've mentioned, uh, Amy Semple MacPherson, to the more recent uh, accusations against Frank Houston. What's the link, do you think?
1: it's it's a difficult one to answer because it's certainly um, popping up at the moment a very prominent Pentecostal preacher in the Philippines has just been done as well and and there certainly are these scandals and and in parts of Latin America that has certainly drove people away from Catholicism uh, but I think it's the obviously the the trust issue um, and, and just also that that to be a successful pentecostal preacher you don't need any training they're quite deliberately you know not uh, not theologically trained um but they're incredibly charismatic you know in, in the biblical sense and in the uh, the sense that, that we understand you know these are people that just have that magnetism like I was speaking about with Amy semple McPherson they they always you know just have that Bill Clinton thing of making you feel like you're the only person in the room uh, and obviously you know some people with with those talents um can can probably use them for, for bad as well as good
0: and of course your book makes the point that there's no church hierarchy overall church hierarchy so uh, there's no oversight of the brands
1: yeah very deliberately so um, you know anyone can can be a preacher or a prophet or an apostle whatever you want to call yourself you just need a following and uh Pentecostals have always been very aware that that you know making making the church a bit McDonald's um, can drive away people. They they really understand that they're operating in a religious marketplace, and you know that the customer's always right. And yeah, people want spontaneous <laughs> thing, uh, charismatic uh, pastors. Uh, people want all the good stuff, and yeah, Pentecostals are just are just really great at that. So it's um yeah, so it's certainly changing conception of church as we know it.
0: Uh, my mind goes back to. Uh the height of the televangelical boom, when again and again, the, uh, you know, the the star preacher would be caught having a you know with a prostitute in a motel, or sometimes with in a same-sex relationship. But all they had to do was go down their knees on the telly and say sorry and repent, and they'd bounce back bigger than ever.
1: Well, yeah, and, and again, the power of Pentecostalism really is in that born-again narrative, and Pentecostals are just great storytellers. Um, so people really see the demarcation in their own lives when they join a church, you know, perhaps before you were struggling with the drink or your husband had left you or, or something like that, and you sort of get things together and you convert, and then you, you know, sort of go perhaps with a new mindset into your, into your new life. And so um, perhaps Pentecostals are a bit more forgiving um, than others just because of their understanding of that and the belief in, in the born again moment.
0: Speaking in just one tongue, L. Hardy, journalist and author of Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is Taking Over the World, published by New South. Now, where does Hillsong fit into the Pentecostal panorama?
1: It's funny because in Australia, people are, are probably rightly uh, wary of it, uh, but, but globally, I'd say it's one of the theologically lightest touches that, that we've seen. Um, the famous pastor, Carl Lentz, who had a, a big fall from Grace last year, he was sort of known as Justin Bieber's pastor. He was the, the Hillsong New York guy. Uh, he famously went on a you know daytime chat show and refused to condemn abortion. Uh, which, which is you know pretty pretty huge for an American evangelical, and yeah, I, I think a lot of people join Hillsong churches in big cities. You know, it's huge in Moscow, Sao Paulo, Cape Town, Los Angeles, and yeah, often I think people, especially Americans and people in other cultures, really like joining an Australian church because perhaps you're not getting that some of that harder edged um, theology that you might see in um, in in an American church or in a Nigerian church.
0: I remember being in Moscow. …just, well, during the the Gorbachev era and uh, religion was making a big comeback… …after years of being effectively banned by the Communist Party. But I had no idea that the Pentecostal movement was big there.
1: Yeah, so so it's really a, a faith of big cities. So it's places like Kiev and in in Ukraine and, and Moscow, um, where it's taking off. And there's always been a very keen um, Pentecostal and American interest in the in you know behind the Iron Curtain. They always really wanted to get in. Um, so so I don't think it has any real uh, real claim on Orthodoxy. You know, they're, they're not really under threat, but it's certainly getting people on on board. Um, and Victor Orban's son is a Pentecostal preacher in Hungary and, and there's um, some Pentecostalism is, is, is really gaining a foothold there.
0: Any sign of it in China?
1: Yes. Um, China's the, the, the next big thing, certainly. Um, but it's uh, most notably seen it's Pentecostals run the Underground Railroad for North Korean defectors. So a lot of North Korean uh, defectors and refugees to the south tend to convert along the way, um, sometimes because they have to. So that's where it most notably is. Um, there's There's some small house churches and things like that. There's, you know, I've spoken to people that said that they've been Believe that they've been secretly converting North Korean people within the the Communist Party, um, you know, when they've been in China. But I don't think that's particularly widespread. But um, certainly, a lot of Pentecostals will be looking very closely at China, and you know, particularly in South Korea, where Pentecostalism is is really big. They they would certainly be very happy to uh, to convert.
0: Now, Scott Morrison would feel the gravitational tug of both Hillsong and the Liberal Party. What what's the biggest influence on him? Do you think?
1: Yeah, it makes me laugh because yeah, everyone in Australia, I think, there's a real conception that he's really bringing this quite foreign faith, you know, into Australian politics. But I I just don't see him being especially informed by by his faith. Um, You know, my kind of litmus test is: has he done anything different to what John Howard might have done, or what hypothetical Prime Minister Peter Dutton would do? And And I I just don't see it. I see him as much more a a product of the Liberal Party. And, you know, we've seen Pentecostal leaders in in other countries. The the late president of Tanzania um, was a Pentecostal. And he said, you know, COVID wasn't real. Or if it was, it was a spiritual sickness and you had to pray it out. And he was willing to die for it. And he did. You know, he succumbed to COVID last year. So I certainly think we haven't seen Scott Morrison, you know, uh, going down that path at all. And It might inform his values, I just don't see it informing his politics.
0: Well, let's also recall that Paul Keating was at least a tribal Catholic and uh, my friend Kevin Rudd, an intense Christian believer. In fact, to such an extent that it made his rise to the leadership quite difficult.
1: Yeah, very much so and I I think that there's a real... um, uh, a a real claim now that that Pentecostal Christianity is, is mainstream global Christianity now, you know, it's really taken over someone like Kevin Rudd is, you know, uh, is, is a throwback, you know, your old school kind of um, C of E or Uniting Church of Methodists. That, that stuff's just dying out. You know, it's Pentecostals, they're, they're, they're really sweeping in and, and it, you know, we say it's about a quarter to a third of global Christians are Pentecostal, but, you know, Catholic churches are playing Hillsong music to stop their their, their congregation leaving. And so I think just the influence on other denominations is, is really profound.
0: Take us to uh, Bethel Reading in Northern California, please, Hill.
1: Yes, so Bethel-Redding is, uh, I call it a company town. Um, so uh, the the town of, of Redding, Bethel, is, is a huge megachurch there. It's very much like Hillsong, very famous for its music, um, but, but much more American and, and a bit hardcore. And they think something like at least 11% of the town actively go there. Ready, uh, Bethelites run the Board of Commerce. They recently had the mayor. Um, they're just sort of in every facet of society and quite famously uh, within the town have been um, recruiting a lot of emergency ward doctors um, from Pentecostal conferences. Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry is uh, is a really big uh, campus out, out there. Um, And, yeah, they have all sorts of young people there wanting to to learn the gifts, and they go around town trying to heal people. And so they're in the the parking lots of hospitals. They're in the waiting rooms. I spoke to some nurses off the record who said, you know, that they just kind of charge into the emergency ward and want to lay hands on people. And, you know, I spoke to a woman in the town whose mother was in a wheelchair, and these young people came up and wanted to pray for her, and she said, no, thank you. And they jammed their feet under the wheelchair and laid hands on her and tried to, to heal her of her disability, which is obviously pretty traumatic, but it's something that's going on a lot up
0: there. Well, I feel like immigrating to, uh, to Reading so I could join the Bethel School of Supernatural, Supernatural Ministry. Tell me about young people taking part in grave-soaking
1: yeah, there's actually an Australian uh, alumni of, of Bethel who's been um, ac- accused of that, should we say, but uh, no one will really publicly admit to it, I suppose, because it's a bit freaky, but there's certainly a bit going on, led by the the wife of, of the pastor Bill Johnson up there. Um, and yeah, it's a very old-fashioned practice, but you go and lie on someone's grave, you know, particularly a, a well-known Pentecostal who, who might be dead, and you soak up their anointing. Um, you know, it's, these are true believers, they, they do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and and in these kind of things, and they will, yeah, you know, lay hands on gravestones and, and yeah, roll around. Um, so, yeah, spend, spend a lot of hours in the graveyard at, uh, at Reading. I didn't see anyone, but, um, but it certainly goes on.
0: So from uh, total immersion baptism to, to grave soaking, it was out of churches like Bethel Reading that the Christian project called the Seven Mountain Mandate was developed. Can you explain it?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so one of the, uh, so, so the pastor at Bethel, Bill Johnson, is one of the co authors. So it's a, it's a doctrine that's come up in the last uh, 10 years in the US. And it basically said that, the, you know, the world's been conquered by demons and we've got to get rid of them so that Jesus can come back. So the seven mountains are what they say, the seven pillars of, of society. So it's media, government, business, those sorts of things, most notably education. Um, and they say, yeah, the believer has to conquer them in any way possible. So it's very much the theological wing of, of Trumpism. Um, you know, we, we saw people storm the Capitol on, on January 6th, uh, in, directly inspired by this. And and it's certainly um, giving people a lot of impetus to, you know, take over school boards and and things like that that's going on at the moment. So it's a a modern form of Christian dominionism and and it's really taking off in America where I think the evangelical right, the radical right, know that they've lost the the democratic battle and the demographic battle.
0: Now, 7M, as it's known, was, uh, as you say, involved in the storming of the Capitol but denounced the riots.
1: Yes, uh, for i mean you know america's a <laughs> i think for legal reasons as much as anything um and they did put some distance on themselves but but pentecostals are very media savvy and you know they're they're very aware that they don't necessarily want to um tacitly endorse this stuff, but, but maybe you talk about it a bit off the record. But, I mean, there are some pastors like Greg Locke who really got people worked up outside the riot. Um, he's, he's in Tennessee. He just uh, tried to burn Harry Potter books this week and there's a viral clip yesterday of him um, denouncing witches in his congregation. Um, so there's definitely a lot of incentives for these very uh, sort of Facebook-based preachers um, to, mm-hmm. to really go to the extremes and, you know, they, they see the clicks. They see that people like this stuff.
0: elders 7 uh, m. Have a role in at Hillsong,
1: not that I'm aware of. And again, I think Hillsong's been very, very wary of of, of getting politically involved in Australia or, or anywhere. Um, I haven't seen it preached from there. People within the congregations might be interested in it because they might see this stuff online. Um, but but yeah, in Australia, there just isn't the incentive or the the culture. I think that's really going to embrace something like that. Whereas in America, you know, you want to get a small mobile group of people really um, radicalise and mobilise um, for, for your cause.
0: Now, we, we're well aware that uh, the Prime Minister was immensely embarrassed by his uh, vocation in Hawaii, but he was also rather embarrassed by his attempts to get uh, Houston, Brian Houston, invited to that White House dinner.
1: Yes, he, he really seemed to distance himself and I, and I think, again, that really speaks to... Australian culture, you know, people are very wary of Hillsong. Um, people are, you know, they're, they're constantly getting battered in tabloids and, and a current affair and things like that so I just don't, uh, he's always seems to have been pretty keen to put some distance um, between himself and, and Houston who he has called his mentor. He doesn't actually go to Hillsong himself, Scott Morrison, he goes to Horizon which is a Hillsong-ish oh. church in the Shire. Um, but but yeah, obviously they um, are privately friends, I think that's fairly clear but but I mean, yeah, you see the lengths that, that Morrison goes to distance himself um, from Houston even though yeah he he certainly probably helped get Houston an invite uh, to the White House.
0: There was a time when the end times were as rapidly approaching as the winning post in the in the in the Melbourne Cup but the the accelerator pedal isn't being pushed so hard.
1: Yeah, look, um, Pentecostals went from being premillennialists, um, so saying you know God's got to come back and then and then we'll you know build the kingdom, um, which is why earthquakes and things like that were quite terrifying and, and pushed a lot of people to the faith. Now they're they're Millennialists. And um, so they're really saying, yeah, we've got to build the, the kingdom for Jesus to come. Many will say, you know, we've already been through the tribulations. Things like the Holocaust are, are seen as, as having done that. Um, so it's really just about, yeah, building God's kingdom now, uh, being very optimistic and positive and developing what I would say is almost a weird obsession with the state of Israel, um, the, the the modern state of Israel. Um, Jews are seen as, as, as one American preacher said to me, every Jew is a miracle and there are miracles happening all over the state of Israel. And, you know, I was thinking 40 years ago you would have been an anti-Semite. Um, so it's this real philo-Semitism really believing that they have political and, and current um cause with israel but also that you know effectively they see them as custodians of, of the kingdom and um you know when the time comes they're they're going to have to convert or, or or they're out um so so yeah it, it's very interesting but but they certainly are end times focused
0: what a fascinating time you've been having ill
1: yeah it's um it's been really interesting um I yeah, had the excuse to go to some pretty cool places and, and meet some interesting people and, you know, meet some some living saints and some absolute crooks and charlatans, um, which is, you know, Pentecostalism is that big. It, it sort of runs the gamut. But it's, it's been super fascinating for sure.
0: Well, please accept an atheist's blessings for coming on the program. I've been talking to L. Harding, author of Beyond Belief, how Pentecostal Christianity is taking over the world. And it's published by New South.